First John chapter 1, we begin reading at verse 5, and there John writes and says, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord, that you would open this passage of Scripture to our hearts and minds. Lord, it's a familiar passage, but we pray, Lord, that you would help us not to uh, not consider it as we ought to, because it is so familiar. But we pray that you would open to us, Lord, we want to understand this, not just find novel things in it that will tickle our ears, but we pray, Lord, you'd help us to really understand what you are saying to us here with all due seriousness and by the work of your Spirit, writing this in our hearts and minds. So help us, we pray, and I pray you bless each one who is here, that we might hear your word, receive it by faith, and that by the work of your Spirit, it would become a permanent part of our thinking. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Well, as I just mentioned in my prayer, this is a familiar section of Scripture. You know, and I was looking at it, you know, to be honest, I was thinking, wow, I mention this text all the time in my, you know, uh, preparations for the Lord's Supper and other passages. Uh, everybody's really familiar with it. What can I bring to this, as I said in my prayer, not to tickle ears, but what are the things in here, perhaps, we think that all these years, have I been missing anything? You know, and have we just become too familiar with this passage of Scripture so that we're not listening to it? You know, sometimes, uh, like living next to a, a train track, uh, just, you know, I remember when we did that in Philadelphia, with Patsy and I, eventually when the trains come, you don't notice them. We had people over and they would say, doesn't that bother you? They'd say, doesn't what bother us? The train that just went by, and I didn't notice you know, but that's, the house still shook a little bit, you know. Uh, and sometimes passages of Scripture that are familiar, when, when the, the voice of thunder is heard in them, we just get familiar. Oh, yeah, okay, fine. Uh, we want that not to happen. That's why we have to depend on the Holy Spirit to open God's Word to us and pray. And Jesus is the one that gives us understanding. So we'll trust Him to work this day. So what does John say? He started off saying he wanted, in the first four verses, that he was writing so that his hearers, those who would receive this epistle, and he knew who they were, it's very clear, he's writing to people that he had an awareness of, that he considered to be friends and brothers and sisters in Christ. He's writing to them, as he says in verse 3, uh, he says that you might have fellowship with us and that your joy might be full. Note that in verse 3, uh, that which we've seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So he's talking about having fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. And these things be right to you that your joy may be full. So John's writing 
because it's proper and right for those who are the objects of God's forgiveness and mercy and grace in Christ to have joy in their hearts. And so he wants us to understand how that comes about. And you notice in this epistle, as you will notice, there's a lot of contrast between you know, light and darkness, love and hate, and things like that that, that come up. John's letting us know this is the right path to follow. This is the path to avoid. This is what you need to consider. And so, in verse 5, he says, This is the message we've heard from him and declared to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Well, how do we define darkness? Well, darkness has to do with things that are evil, things that are sinful, things that are, are not trustworthy. And he says that none of that is in God. Our God is light. And he wants us to understand there's no darkness in him. God, when we speak of his holiness, we're talking about an absolute holiness. When we speak of God's justice, it's absolute. God's not a little unjust. God is absolutely just. He's absolutely righteous. He is absolutely who he is. With him there is no variableness nor shadow of turning, we're told. And so here we are told he is light and in him is no darkness at all because John's going to be talking about moral darkness those who walk in their sins. And he says in the very next verse, because remember he's talking about having fellowship with God. So the first thing he wants to do is deliver us from false ideas of what that fellowship might be. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So he's saying, if you're going to claim to have fellowship with God, and there are those who do that, and yet walk in darkness, do we lie and do not practice the truth? In Psalm 66, if you want to turn there, uh, David said a very similar thing, or at least it's something that definitely applies here. In the 66th Psalm, at the 16th verse, King David is speaking, and he says, Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and he was extolled or praised with my tongue. And then he says this, very important, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear, as the King James says, the Lord will not hear me. Right? That's implied. To regard iniquity, the, the, uh, the Hebrew word actually is the word to see. In other words, if I'm looking at iniquity in my heart, if I'm setting up idols in my heart, if I'm thinking about doing evil while I'm making my humble confession to God, supposedly, either publicly or privately, God doesn't hear that. And so we learn something here. If a person says, oh, I have fellowship with God, but they're not interested in actually doing what his word says, John's pretty clear, isn't he? You know, John just cuts right through it. He doesn't say, well, you know, they need some counseling. He says, the person's a liar. If somebody's doing evil and says, oh, I have fellowship with God, but they're, they're practicing immorality and wickedness, they're lying, and they're not doing the truth. And so John makes it clear. But note, verse 19, let's read on, because there is hope here in Psalm 66. It says, but certainly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer nor his mercy from me. So David praises God that God had given him that sincerity of heart and desire to forsake sin. And so John is saying, if we're going to say, then we need to do. Our actions, our life, needs to measure up with our profession. I think everyone knows that. It's pretty basic stuff. 
But then he says, for those who say, well, yeah, God delivered me from that. I do want to be cleansed from sin. Like we read in Psalm 51, David went to God and said, Lord, cleanse me. He wanted to be clean. When he said, purge me with hyssop, hyssop is what was used to apply the blood uh, when the people were sprinkled. And so, when the sacrifice, when Moses sanctified the people, he dipped the, 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 the hyssop, a, a, which is like a little brush, dipped it in mean, a plant and sprinkled them. So when David said that, he was saying, apply the blood to me. And that's what we pray, and that's what John says here, note verse 7. But if, and I mean, this conditional, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, see there's the darkness and light contrast being brought out. We have fellowship with one another. I would have expected him to say, if I wrote this, but good thing I didn't, because I'm not inspired like the apostles were. I would have said we have fellowship with God. That would, wouldn't that be that's not, that's right, huh? Okay, but you know, trying to not be a false prophet, so I didn't write the Bible, nor do I intend to rewrite it. Okay, John says under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we have fellowship with one another. So when we walk in the light. We can have that koinonia, that friendship, that fellowship, that partnership with each other. And as I've mentioned before, if you're not walking in the light, you're not fit to have fellowship with one another. Okay? I have to walk in the light because I will influence other people. I need you to walk in the light because you will influence me. But if we walk in the light, that's by God's grace. So if we all go, well, I want to serve God. I'm going to confess my sins, ask God to really get this garbage out of my life. I'm going to love God and do what he says. Wow, where could you find better friends? You know, Paul says, don't be deceived. Evil uh, companions corrupt good morals. And there is a, I share that with a lot of young people and some old people and told myself. Uh, you become like the people with whom you associate. And if you can hang around with people that are ungodly and wicked and doing sinful stuff and bad stuff and they're comfortable with you being with them and it doesn't bother them a bit, you've already compromised yourself. Okay? That means you're probably not speaking up. That doesn't mean you have to go and make yourself, you know, I think it was Alexander Cruden who pointed himself, the official reprover of morals in the city of London in the 1700s. And he would just go down the street, wait to find somebody saying or doing something that he didn't think was right, and he would go give him a little mini-sermon. Okay? There's a place for that. Uh, Spurgeon referred to Cruden as Crazy Cruden, but he said he was a wonderful man in many ways. Uh, so you don't have to appoint yourself the official reprover of all wrong in your city. If you want to do that, though, probably wouldn't hurt. Reading, you know, it would be a full-time job for you, okay? Uh, and you could start here, okay? But we are to walk in the light, and we are to associate with God's people. Note that. We have fellowship with one another. And note what happens. This is an interesting verse to me, one of the most interesting verses in the Bible. Walking in the light, that's by God's grace, that means walking in the light of his word. Okay, that, that word is a lamp, a light unto my feet. Okay, a lamp, a light. As we walk in the light of his word, that is what he said, and, we, and we're endeavoring to obey God, we have fellowship with each other. It's a wonderful, sweet fellowship to be with people that love Jesus. You know, uh, how wonderful it is. You know, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And that's what the Holy Spirit brings about. We have fellowship with one another. And in that fellowship, in that iron sharpening iron, sometimes there's sparks, okay? Uh, we learn to get along with each other. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. 
Now we understand confession, we understand repentance, we understand God's work of grace. But note here, within the context of his church, and by that I mean the called out assembly, by his, the ecclesia, ek is out, ecclesia comes from kaleo, to call, those who are called out of the world into the fellowship of his church, the body of Christ, when we walk in the light, there is an ongoing cleansing. From being around those that love the Lord, that work of being conformed to the image of Christ, and that what, that's what it means to be cleansed from sin, is built up in it. So it's good for us to be together, but we need to make sure we walk in the light. And we are walking in the light with each other. But note this promise. As we do that, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us. The old King James has cleanseth. And I like those endings, okay? Uh, because it translates the Greek present really, really well. The English here is perfect, okay? It's fine. Nothing wrong with the new King James, okay? Uh, we say cleanses now. The King James would say cleanseth, but it means it's ongoing. There's an ongoing cleansing when we're in fellowship with each other as we walk in the light. That's a pretty awesome promise. You know, if you want to get motivated to come to church, if the gospel is being preached and your brothers and sisters are walking in the light, it's going to be good for you. Make sure it's good for them. <laughs> okay? Um, so there's this promise. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. If we're, if we're claiming that, if we're saying, note that, if we say that we have no sin, if we say, well, you know, I'm sinless. Later in the last verse, he says, uh, if we say that we have not sinned, that's the perfect tense. That's basically saying, if we say that we never have and aren't sinners, he says we make him a liar. We don't actually make God a liar, but that's what we're trying to do. Because God has said you're a sinner. You remember in Romans chapter 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So when someone says, well, you know, it's good for you, Christian, but I'm not a sinner. It's like, really? Because you just call God a liar, and I think that's a sin. Because he says you're a sinner. So you can't really escape it. God's word is true. But note, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We all understand this. You're not fooling anybody that knows you well. But if you go, well, I think I'm sinless. I remember my son, my oldest son, when I asked him one time, I was catechizing him, and I said, Seth, are you a sinner? He may hear this, so that's okay. Uh, and he was a little guy. He was about three. You thought about it? No, no, I'm not a sinner. I said, really? So I just waited. Next time he did something, needed a couple of swats. I asked him again, hey, son, are you a sinner? Yes, daddy, I'm a sinner. Okay? Same way the Lord deals with us. And we start to yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm really doing God a favor of being part of his church. And all of a sudden, next thing we know, we're face down in the gravel going, what on earth was I thinking? Wow, I need grace. Lord, help me. And God deals with us graciously, Okay? The Holy Spirit, remember, when he comes, he will convict the world of sin, or convince the world. So as we're in God's word, sometimes it's not the most pleasant experience, because we're being confronted by our sin. But it's like when you go to the dentist and he tells you you got a bad tooth. He didn't make it that way. All right, He's just telling you, people are like, oh, I don't want to go to the doctor, I might find out something's wrong with me. Like The doctor doesn't make you ill. He tells you what's going on. When you read God's word, it's like, well, I don't like God because it tells me I'm sinful. Well, guess what? You're sinful already. It's just telling you the truth. You need to hear that so you can deal with it by God's grace. But then he says, and he says the truth is not in us. So that can be understood corporately also. If we say that we have no sin, if we start thinking as a body, note those are plurals. 
And we do need to distinguish between, you know, the old these and the thou's, you individually, and us, we, and y'all. Okay? This is a we. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. You know, so as a congregation of Christians, we shouldn't start thinking like, hey, we're, we're pretty special. You know, we're it, man. You know, uh, we're the people, and surely wisdom will die with us, as Job rebuked his friends for thinking. Uh, we need to recognize, we can't begin to think like, well, we're just perfect. No, even as a congregation of Christians, we fall horribly short. Uh, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. That could be understood to meaning the, the truth is not among us. Because if the gospel is being preached, you're going to hear about sin. If you're not hearing about sin, well, what does forgiveness mean? If you don't know that you're a sinner, if the law is not being upheld, John uh, tells us sin is the transgression of the law. Paul said in Romans... By the law is the knowledge of sin. You know, the law is like a mirror, and it shows you your face is dirty. It can't cleanse you. A mirror can't clean your face, but you can go to the water. And in the Bible, you can go to Jesus, and he will cleanse you. And that's the next thing he says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, this wonderful promise to confess, the Greek word there... For confess is uh, homologeo, which is fun to say, uh, but it means to confess. It's actually related to the word for preaching. Homiletics, you may have heard that's the study of preaching. Homiletics, homologeo, means to confess. And when you preach, what you're supposed to do is you freely confess. You freely proclaim. And so what John is saying here, not, you know, you need to walk around and start proclaiming your sins, uh, James says, confess your trespasses or your faults one to another. There are certain things I need to go to my brothers and sisters and ask for forgiveness where I've offended them. But when it comes to actually confessing sin, I need to go to God. So when he says, can we, if we confess our sins, and that's corporate and individual, you know, there's different types of confession. There's actually false confession. Remember, Pharaoh in Exodus 10, 16 said, I have sinned against the Lord. There was no repentance. There was no desire to change. Simon Magus in Acts chapter 8, verses 18 through 24, when Peter confronted him, because remember, Simon Magus tried to buy the Holy Spirit. And he was probably planning on selling it if he could you know, get the power to uh, lay hands on people and do miracles. He wanted to continue his work as a magician. Uh, and Peter rebuked him and said, you're still in the bond of iniquity. And Simon Magus, we're told the last words we hear from him, is he asked Peter to pray for him. Uh, he said, oh, pray for me. He says, this, this doesn't come upon me. He doesn't say he was interested in repenting. And finally, you know, the, the, the outstanding example of false confession is Judas Iscariot. After he had sinned and sold his Lord for 30 pieces of silver, after he saw that Jesus was condemned, it says he repented. And the Greek word is not the same word for real repentance, uh, metanoia. It's the word metamelo, and that's the word that means to have remorse. So Judas felt bad about what he'd done to the point that he ended up committing suicide, but it wasn't real repentance. He hadn't actually turned from his sin. And Paul said elsewhere that uh, godly sorrow leads to repentance. The sorrow of the world leads to death. And there's a big difference. And that's why, you know, we want to guard and make sure that we don't fall into despair. Godly repentance, when the Holy Spirit's convicting you, you will turn to Jesus. Okay? So, Judas, though, 
he took the 30 pieces back, we're told in Matthew 27, verse 4, and uh, he threw it down in the temple. He said, I betrayed the innocent blood. And the priests that were there, the high priests and others, they said, what's that to us? You look to it. Uh, no help, no comfort, nothing. And then he said he went out and hung himself. So there is false confession. As I, I quoted in Psalm 66, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. There has to be that work of grace. Corporate confession, we just did that a little while ago. Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Okay, uh, We confess to others when we wronged them. The prodigal son went back to his father and he told his father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. Uh, and his father received him. Jesus told us that story so that we would understand the willingness of God to forgive repentant sinners. Um, sometimes specific sins. You know, we're told Jesus said, if your brother trespass against you, rebuke him. And if he turn to you and say, I repent, you shall forgive him. And not just seven times, but seventy times seven. In other words, don't keep track of it. That's in Luke chapter 17 at verse 3. We open the service with Psalm 51, and we see there are various elements of going to God and confessing. Now, along with confessing is cleansing. David talked about that in Psalm 19, verse 12, that God would cleanse his heart. Now, part of that for us in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, uh, you must forgive one another. Matthew 16, uh, 14 through 15. And also in... Uh, <coughs> Matthew 11, 25. If the Lord's Prayer, right after Jesus taught the Lord's Prayer, he said, for if, if you want to turn to, to Matthew 6 for that, we'll take a quick glance at that, and this is important teaching, I, I believe. Uh, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said in verse 12, we're to pray, forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors. And then the conclusion, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. But then he says in verse 14 and 15, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now Jesus isn't saying if you don't forgive others, you won't be forgiven. Well, I believe what he's teaching here very clearly is that if your sins are forgiven, you will be able to forgive others. One of the marks of being the object of God's grace is having a gracious heart. When God saves a person, He changes them. And He takes away the inability to forgive others. By the way, it doesn't mean it's necessarily going to be easy always to do this. But there will be a desire to please God. And if you know God wants you to let go of things, and we talked about that before, remember? To forgive is to let go or to, to uh, remit, to send away. Um, like the scapegoat in the law. If you remember that in... Uh, where is that at? In uh, Numbers chapter 5, at verse 7, you know, the priest was to confess all the sins of Israel over the head of a goat. And then someone was to take and lead the goat into the wilderness. And they would never see the goat again. And that's where we get the term scapegoat. The goat, goat would be taken away. Um, and the goat just went out and lived in the wilderness or whatever happened to it. Uh, the thing is, is it, it was symbolic that when God takes your sins away, He doesn't remember them against you, but they're gone. They're cleansed. Uh, so Jesus is saying that if you if you forgive men, your sins are forgiven. If you can't, then you're, they're not. So if you want to know, how do I know I'm an object of God's grace? Well, are you wishing ill to fall on people who perhaps have wronged you? You need to let go of that. If you can't, go to Jesus. That's a sin. You can confess that sin and get cleansing. 
But don't regard iniquity in your heart. Don't be plotting revenge and thinking that you're going to enjoy the grace of God because uh, your heart is not right with Him if you refuse to forgive. So, we are to forgive one another. You know, if your brother, if you bring your gift to the altar and you remember your brother has aught against you, go get reconciled to your brother. Don't just wait till somebody comes to you. If you know, I need to go talk to that guy or that girl, or that person. I need to make things right. Well, do it. Uh, Jesus, there are times, you know, like when Jesus was told the Pharisees had been offended at him, and he didn't go seek them out and said, oh, I'm so sorry, because he was doing what was right, and he just, taking offense in the Bible means falling into sin, okay? If somebody doesn't like what you're doing, that's not always, you can, you can go to them and talk to them, but the Bible says, as much as lies in you, be at peace with all men. And sometimes if you just offend someone's pharisaical tendencies, they're not going to forgive you because they're playing a little power game. Okay, that I'm more holy than you are, and now I got you. But go try to make it right with them anyway. Sometimes the only people that understand forgiveness are people who have experienced it from others. I mentioned William Cowper, the great hymn writer. Uh, he had a lot of depression and mental illness as an adult because he could not bring himself to believe that God had forgiven him. Because as a child he'd been orphaned and he'd been passed around from one relative relative to another. And basically their, they thought their goal or their duty was to let him know that you're only here because you came with an inheritance. And he wasn't shown a lot of love growing up. And so with the, as an adult he had a lot of problems. But he eventually found peace. Eventually understood from the word God really does love me in His Son, and I do have forgiveness. So we need to learn to confess, to freely confess before the Lord, and for where I've wronged a brother, as James says, confess your trespasses or your faults one to another. He doesn't say, that's in the Egyptian manuscripts that come out of Egypt in the Greek New Testament, some of them do say confess your sins, but the majority of all the manuscripts actually say confess your trespasses, paraptomata is the Greek word, uh, confess your trespasses. In other words, if you've wronged someone, go make it right. One to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. But there is a type of confession, and that's you, you go to Jesus with. You don't need a, a confessor. You need a savior. Uh, remember when the young man, they let down the paralytic in the, in the building, where the house where Jesus was? And Jesus looks at this young man and sees their faith, sees what's going on. And he says to the young man, Son, he says, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees and the priests who were sitting around there, they thought this man blasphemed. Who can forgive sins but God only? And so Jesus knew their thoughts. He hears our thoughts like words. And he said to them, Which is easier to say? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or rise, take up your bed and walk? They're both equally easy to say. Then Jesus went on and said, But so that you'll know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins? He turned to the young man and he said, Arise, take up your bed, and go. And all of a sudden, that young man whose legs had undoubtedly been atrophied, and he was weakened from you know, the paralysis and the illness that he had, uh, couldn't walk. All of a sudden, his leg he has strength. He gets up. There's a miracle. A creative miracle takes place. The young man, he's whole now. He stands up, takes up his bed, and walks out. Jesus was letting you know. Anybody can tell you your sins are forgiven. We've seen that in the medieval church, and it carries on in some branches today. The idea, well, if I go to confession, my sins will be forgiven. 
And men go and they make confession to a priest, but they never really confess to God. And then the priest or the minister, whoever's doing it, says, oh, your sins are forgiven, go in peace. Well, are those sins forgiven? It's easy to say your sins are forgiven. And I'm not saying you have to go you know, raise up people who have paralysis. But the fact is, Jesus is the one that forgives our sins. He is our great high priest. He is the one to whom we confess. If you look at Psalm 51, David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. He had, through uh, Joab, the leader of his army, set up her husband, Uriah the Hittite, to get killed in battle because she turned up pregnant, and Uriah was not in the county when it happened, so he set it up so that it would look like he died in battle. Everything he tried, nothing worked out, so he just figured he'd get rid of the guy, marry the girl, and nobody would ever know. And, and you think of all the people that David wronged in doing that. But when David made confession, by the way, the Lord severely chastened him. God told him the sword is never going to depart out of your house. And it never did. It was always violence. Even to the point that our Savior, when he died, he had a spear thrust into his side. Uh, God made sure that David's sins were fully paid for at the cross. But the point is, is that when David sinned, he wronged all kinds of people. But when he goes to confess his sins, what does he say in Psalm 51? Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. He recognizes that even when we wrong other people, the real sin that we've committed, because they're in the image of God, we've really sinned against God. That's why God told Noah after the flood, that whoever sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he him. When someone commits murder, they're striking at the image of God. And that's why God says it's to be punished with death. They're to be sent out of this world. That There are crimes that people can commit that forfeit their right to live on God's earth. And it doesn't mean they can't find forgiveness. Okay, David found forgiveness, and look at the horrible things he did. But it does mean that God's image is in God himself is the one who's being wronged when we sin against our brethren. And so we need to go to our brethren and ask for forgiveness if we've wronged them. But we need to also go to God because he's the one that we have sinned against. And the only mediator between God and man is the man, Christ Jesus. If you come to me and ask me to forgive you for something you've done, or I come to you on the same terms... Well, I would appreciate your forgiveness, and I certainly would hope I would have grace in my heart to forgive you. But if you come to me and say, I've sinned against God, please forgive me, I can't do that. No man can do that except God incarnate, the Lord Jesus Christ. So go to him. This is a sermon that I hope the Holy Spirit will bring application into your life. Go before God. Search your hearts. Make sure when you can, there's a danger in confessing sin. If you've sinned in ways that were, quote, pleasurable, and the Bible says there is pleasure in sin for a season. Make sure you're confessing and not reminiscing. Okay? If you're like, oh Lord, I'm so sorry I punched that guy in the nose. Man, it felt good. Okay, that's not confession. Okay? Go to go recognize the evil of what you've done and say, Lord, please forgive me. Please forgive my inability to confess. Please help me, Lord, so that I recognize the ugliness of what I did. As David did. And God will bring that about. When we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, all injustice. And you need that cleansing both now and on the day of judgment. 
When you appear before God, you need to be there cleansed. Now, it's just saying you've got to do this yourself. The Holy Spirit will bring this about in your life. If we say that we have not sinned, if we pretend like we're sinless and we don't want to do this, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. But that's not who we are. His word is in us. We're not calling God a liar. We're agreeing with what he said. We are a people who will confess their sins and pray for each other. We will honor God by his grace and the work of his spirit. And we will walk in fellowship with our God and with one another. Because God has given us his promises, it's his work, and he's the one who works in us, in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So we can give him praise and thanks. When we read this, I wow, Lord, thank you. For, he's told us what we need to do so we can walk in the light. We're not just tossed out in the darkness and helpless, like, oh, I guess I'm just going to wallow in sin like a pig in the mud until I die and I, who knows what's going to happen then. No, that's not Christianity. That's not what Christ is called. We know what we need to do. And look at the promise, forgiveness, cleansing, fellowship, joy. Praise God for what we have in Jesus Christ. He really, truly is a Savior of sinners. And everybody in this crowd that I know, and myself, we all qualify for that program. Okay, So go to Jesus. Go to God. Let's try to be friends with each other. You know, you're being conformed to the image of God in Christ. And one of God's characteristics, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And too many times as a pastor, I've seen people like, oh, I just had so, many trouble, so much trouble with the, that brother, I, I decided just to find a new church. That might be necessary sometimes if it's a moral issue. I understand that. Okay, But more often than not, we need to be people that says to one another, like husbands and wives should do, and parents and children, I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. You're stuck with me because I'm not going to walk away. We're going to get this right. Because God told me to love you, and I'm not going to throw you away. I'm not going to let your sin or my folly or sin get in the way of us having fellowship with one another and in Jesus Christ. I want to get right with God. I want to get right with people. Why? Because God said He's never going to leave us nor forsake us. And we are covenanted together as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to be there for each other. And sometimes to be rebuking each other. And sometimes to get rebuked. Okay, but make sure you do it in love so that people can receive it. But we're, we're committed to each other. Why? Because Christ has called us to be His people. Now, the Lord may come today. He may return tomorrow. He may not come for another thousand years. I like to think that this little fellowship that if I trust that God has raised up, if the Lord is pleased to tarry for a thousand years or five hundred years, that what the Lord has begun here will continue. I won't be around in 500 years, but I hope that Grace Presbyterian Church, or whatever it will be called then, that this fellowship where we've seen God has called us together, we've seen children raised up, that this fellowship will be here. That we will be a church that the Lord preserves. That's my hope. That's my prayer. But we've got to make sure that we get this right. We're the first generation of this congregation. And we've got to make sure we get it right and correct. Because our little ones are watching. They're, they want to know, what. how do you be a Christian? And they're looking around. And later on, as adults, they're going to remember you. They're going to remember the conflicts. They're going to remember the difficulty. Let's praise God. They'll remember the resolutions. They'll remember, wow. I remember that those, those old timers back in the you know, 21st century. They, they got things right. They loved God. Wow. You know, we want to give our children that heritage. So that they learn to do that also. May God, who is faithful, bring this about. We entrust all of this into His gracious hands through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So be encouraged.
Let us pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that is true, and we pray that you would bless us and be with us and help us, Lord, to walk according to your word. Keep us, Lord, we pray, in the light. If we're not in the light as we should be, bring us into it, Lord. Uh, we can do nothing apart from you. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the Savior. Work in our hearts. Help us to understand what you are saying here. Uh, not just now at this moment, but Lord, in the days ahead. Give us grace to truly search our hearts and to confess our sins. Guide us in this, Lord, so that we understand the ugliness of sin and the, the beauty of forgiveness and cleansing and being restored to your image. Help us to have that commitment to you in response to your grace toward us. And help us to have that commitment toward one another, to never leave nor forsake, but to be there as brothers and sisters for each other. So help us, we pray, and keep us, Lord, in the fellowship of your Holy Spirit. For we ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.